Warning. This episode of Case Craze may include some or all of the following as it pertains to the cases discussed. Graphic depictions of violence, sexual assault, hate speech, abuse of a minor, domestic abuse, animal abuse, and strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Calling all true crime fans, this is Case Craze. Theodore Robert Bundy, you are charged. Indictment. Two counts burglary. Two counts murder in the first degree. Tell me what's going on, okay? Please note that all the information regarding this episode will be available on my website, along with full transcribed episodes and episodes available in Spanish. It wasn't pleasant. Murder never is. I picked up the two pieces of wallboard and pushed them aside. In the beam of Fairfax Police Chief James Finnan's flashlight, I saw the child's arm in her bare midsection of a torso. Oh my God. She's here. It's the baby. I gasped involuntarily. I was shook. Frank Weichel with the Cincinnati Inquirer recounts his moments of finding the missing toddler. Debbie Dappen was only four years old when she vanished from her front yard in Fairfax, Ohio. The town couldn't comprehend what had happened. Who could have done something like this? Current day Fairfax is known to be fairly quiet. Locals getting into trouble here and there, nothing too extreme. However, the summer of 1964 is another story. 500 volunteers scoured all corners of Fairfax in hopes of finding Carl and Rosemary Dappen's child. Even the nearby community of Madisonville joined the hunt. Once a found shoe was confirmed to be Debbie's, everyone feared the worst. They turned to who found the shoe, 13-year-old George Rickey. The police already had their suspicions of the 13-year-old. Police Chief James Finnan went with Frank Weichel to the Rickey home. Weichel was the one to discover her underneath the porch. About an hour after interrogating him, George would confess to stabbing her with a 10-inch butcher knife and strangling her on his bed after she refused sexual acts. He tried to cover up the stab wounds with a band-aid. Unsure of what to do next, he placed her under the porch. According to the newspaper from 1964, he told police, I don't know why I did it. Also quoted in the paper, Under Ohio law, a juvenile court need not disclose any findings resulting from its investigation. The judge may refer a case to criminal court for the same sort of trial an adult would face. This seldom has been done, and then almost always in cases of nearly adult teenagers with bad records who have committed especially brutal crimes. According to some online forums, George P. Rickey was released to the world as a free man at the age of 18. Harvard psychologist Robert T. Muller tries to make sense of their heinous situation. Prepubescent children are not fully emotionally developed and less able to use self-control and appreciate the consequences of their actions. This, in combination with the fact that many child murderers are impulsive, aggressive, and unable to deal with their emotions, which suggests that when children kill, they are treating their victim as a target, as an outlet for violence. Most victims are either much younger than or close to the same age as the perpetrators, which may suggest they were chosen because they could be overpowered easily. Unfortunately, George's record continued after this incident, charged with assault in 1970 and 1973. He also apparently is still living somewhat close by in Iowa, and just a block away 
from an elementary school. After Debbie's death, Fairfax was on high alert. Understandably so. Once a child goes missing from their own front yard, nothing feels safe anymore. The town tried to move on in hopes of things going back to normal. Later in the year, in October of 1964, there was some construction being done in the neighborhood. This became a playground for nine-year-old best friends, Jimmy McQueary and Johnny Hunley. These two did everything together. They lived in close proximity, they went to the same school, and they loved to explore. But when Jimmy came home that October night covered in mud, his dad wasn't pleased. Plus, it was late. He ordered him to come straight home in the foreseeable future, to not only keep him safe, but keep him from getting disgustingly dirty. Jimmy followed as his father told him, but still snuck out late to see Johnny. They went to a local spot, Frisch's Mainliner, where they had a history of leaving without paying. They settled all their tabs one night in October of 1964, but the waitress was caught off guard when they handed her a $20 bill. Mm-hmm. And where did you get this? We found it. They left the restaurant, and the waitress watched them leave to ensure safety. She can't recall which way they were heading. Little did she know, she would be the last person to see these two boys ever again. Jimmy's dad was furious. How could he disobey him again and again? Johnny didn't return home either. Once they overcame their initial anger towards the boys, they realized something was terribly wrong. They filed a missing persons report. The police, however, didn't immediately get to work because the two boys were together and older than Debbie Dappen. So they shook it off, saying they probably got lost and then lost track of time. They'll turn up eventually. This wasn't good enough. The families continued pressuring the police until they started asking around and interviewing people. This still, however, occurred at a snail's pace. After speaking to multiple witnesses, the trail led them back to Frisch's, where they spoke with the waitress. She did let investigators know about the $20 bill, which only solidified police's theory. $20 would last them about a week. Police also noted the strict curfew Jimmy's dad had placed on him, thinking he was probably fed up and wanted to skip town. The families continued to deny this theory since neither boy had a history of running away or an urgency to do so. With this mindset, the searches weren't very thorough. Nothing organized, nothing planned. They'll turn up. Boys will be boys, right? Everyone waited patiently for the boys to return that weekend. Days turned into nights and the clock kept ticking. There was still no sign of Jimmy and Johnny. The police chief stepped in and canceled any upcoming days off that the police had to continue the search and determine what happened to these boys. It was suspected that they were no longer in Fairfax, Ohio. They searched all of Monday in abandoned spaces, warehouses, and office buildings in hopes that they would find them accidentally locked in a room somewhere or sleeping after their runaway. No sign of them yet. Police sent photos of the boys to the surrounding cities, asking for any information. They also gathered fingerprints from some of the boys' belongings, like their school textbooks. Medium.com article written by Jen Baxter brought up a good point, that unfortunately, this probably wouldn't have had much news coverage. Children go missing at an alarming rate, so why advertise this one and not the others? Well, because of Debbie Dappen. Everyone heard about this case and now more missing children? Fortunately, with these images sent out, police started getting tips. Friday morning, I seen two boys in the B&O railroad yard. One of the boys asked where the train was heading. I told him St. Louis. And that was about the extent of it. One was all quiet in the back. He didn't say much. The boy who asked me, though, had freckles and an upturned nose. 
He was also wearing a striped shirt, if that helps. The inspector who saw these two boys pointed at the photo of Jimmy and confirmed that was the boy he was talking to. Impressively, he mentioned the striped shirt without knowing that that was indeed the shirt Jimmy was last seen in. Johnny's family had described him as being timid and less likely to talk to strangers. This witness is crucial. Did they hop on a train to St. Louis? Police acted fast. They contacted railroads to let them know two runaways could possibly be on their train unknowingly. Saturday night, I swear I saw them. Lunkin Airport. Two really dirty boys headed into the bathroom. Uh, once I saw the paper, I knew it was them. We saw them, most definitely. One of them was wearing a striped shirt, blue and yellow. They were playing outside, strange boys. Playing outside of an airport? Don't know where they went after that. A traveler and a waitress at the Sky Galley restaurant in Lunkin Airport are also incredible witnesses. This means the boys are still possibly in the area, with the airport being so close to Fairfax. Theoretically, they didn't hop on the train. Police requested backup on foot and in the air. The airport was being searched top to bottom, but no evidence of the boys being there at all. This doesn't mean that they weren't, but it's possible. More tips came through. One in particular could ultimately take the case in a grim direction. When Jimmy came home the night before he disappeared covered in mud, he was actually with Johnny playing around that sewer line construction site. They had not only been warned by their parents to not come home dirty, but the workers in the area warned them as well. It's very dangerous. Around the time the boys went missing, the open line was filled with gravel, which would have instantly buried the boys. Even though this is one of the last known places they were at, witnesses claim that there were no sightings of anyone other than construction crew. Police wanted to explore this theory and requested the entire trench of gravel be dug up. The construction crew agreed to hopefully provide answers. The boys were not found in the gravel. People weren't sure if they were happy about this, seeing as this would have been an awful death, yet the boys are still missing. Eyes quickly turned to the parents. After all, they were upset with the boys. However, they willingly submitted polygraph tests to clear the air on any rumors, and they passed with flying colors. The boys had been missing for three years when a Marine walked into a church and anonymously confessed to the murder of the boys. Gary Lee McKee was 17 years old and grew up in Fairfax. The Reverend, in turn, called the police immediately after figuring out who he was. Once the police interrogated him, he weaved an elaborate tale. He claims he lured Jimmy and Johnny into the woods with his friend. He claims this is where they murdered the boys and hid the weapon. Apparently, this was rooted from an argument the Marine had with Jimmy's older brother. Gary cooperated and told the police where the murder weapon was. Suddenly, while Gary was showing him where he hid the bodies, he backtracked and said he lied about the whole thing to get out of military service. Where he originally said all of their answers were turned out to be nothing. And he was never charged with anything. A user on Reddit broke it down. Sure, the Vietnam War was in full flow by this point, so him wanting to leave was understandable. So why confess to a priest instead of the police? Why not go straight to armed forces? Also, the user says, quote, could two 14-year-old boys hide a body so well that they haven't been found in almost 55 years and counting? They also pointed out the question as to why he would go to a priest. They said maybe the priest would take time to listen, which is absolutely true. I agree with this. Let's discuss some other theories police work with decades after the murder. Fairfax Police Detective Mike Murphy has dealt with about 50 to 60 rumors over the years. He left the police force at one point, but eventually ended back up in Fairfax, going over this case once more. Detective Murphy was almost Jimmy and Johnny's age when this happened. When he joined the force nine years later, he started working on the case, 
especially the theory that the boys were buried at the construction site. He truly wanted to believe that this was the case, but once they dug up the trench, he knew he had to move on to another theory. There was an anonymous tip sent in that somebody witnessed a really nice black Cadillac picking up the boys outside of the restaurant that they were seen at. However, this would have been tricky with it being two boys. They had to have entered the car willingly. Lastly, after filtering through some of the other theories, they came across someone claiming their father was the one who killed the boys. A lady from Foxborough, Massachusetts emailed the department. Detective Murphy immediately jumped on the case. To ensure everything lined up, he got DNA samples from the family members and sent them off to a lab. Sending this off to the combined DNA index system would mean if any bones or fragments of the boys were ever found and DNA was analyzed, it would come up as a match. Upon meeting the woman in Massachusetts, they were met with what Detective Murphy called psychological problems. He interviewed her therapist who said she felt that she was telling the truth. Detective Murphy and cadaver dogs couldn't find or see anything. They even drove down to Kentucky where the woman's father lived. Nothing else came of it and they eventually moved on from this theory as well. Probably every cop at Fairfax since 64 has worked this case from one time or another. We decided that we had to follow this to the end. Detective Mike Murphy followed tips as recently as a few years ago. A lot of theories on what happened to these two boys. The very first, someone saw Johnny and Jimmy at the Frishes on Wooster Pike the day they went missing. Detective Murphy has all the old articles detailing where crews dug around the construction in that area, believing the young boys had gone exploring. Thinking that they fell down in a hole and got covered up with dirt, they dug it all up. Both Detective Murphy and Johnny's sister, Bonnie Hunley Zorn, believed that the boys never left Fairfax and they are buried somewhere nearby. 2024 will hit the 60-year mark of the disappearance of Jimmy and Johnny. The initial investigators that worked the case back in 1964 are unfortunately deceased. Police hope one day that something will come up, but now they wait. I continued looking into this case as much as I could to create my own theory of what happened to them. I think this was a stranger attack. Somebody picked them up, killed the boys and buried them somewhere in Fairfax. I do not believe that it was Gary Lee McKee. Three years later, a young Marine confessed to killing the boys. Zorns remembers her mother going with police as the Marine was going to lead them to the bodies. Went from one place to another, from one place to another, and my mother right there, and finally he said, no, I, I lied about it. I just told that to get out of the service. And my mother was just absolutely devastated. She went to her grave never knowing whatever happened to him. We interviewed him, I, don't, I couldn't tell you how many times. Polygraphed him. He was just wanting to get out of the Marine Corps. I don't feel that in my heart. Zorn says that Marine had bad blood with her other brothers and believes re-polygraphing him could reopen that theory. Listen, wasn't as much technology back then as there is now. Hopefully with their DNA in the system, one day they will get a hit. I just hope and pray that before the rest of us leave here, that we find out something about him. It's, it's terrible. Obviously this goes way back, but if you have any information that can help police finally solve this case, call Fairfax Police at 513-271-7250. I've just tweeted that out at Julie O'Neill, WCPO. What do you think happened to Jimmy and Johnny? If you would like to discuss this case, please join the Discord located on my website, casecrazepodcast.com. And please be safe out there. I don't want to have to learn about you on the news. Thank you.